1: All right, I'm Phil Briggs, and on this episode of That Story, we've got something really, really cool, and I'm in the studio with my colleague, reporter, producer, and web extraordinaire, Amanda Mac Macias. How are Hello. you, Mac?
2: I'm good.
1: Now, in the office, when we talk of things about booze and wine <laughs> and the good life, there's always somebody in the editorial meetings I can catch snickering across the room from me, and it's you. <laughs> yeah. Because I think we both like those kind of stories, you know?
0: Yeah, why not?
1: (laughs) And uh, so I'm going to share with you real quick the title of this podcast because I think you're going to love it. Booze, brews, and the president's bar tab.
0: (laughs) I do love it. Right? I mean,
1: that just sounds like something you and I would click on and something our editors expect from us. (laughs) But I'm making this podcast because literally uh, what we were talking about in the office the other day. Mm -hmm was like my fun fact I loved your story so much I went home and I told my wife I went home and told anybody over the weekend that would listen to me and I was like dude get this get this I know the coolest story about our very first president (laughs) and it's totally your story um you do some enterprising reporting for a lot of places uh one of which is a blog right tell me about the name of the blog
0: yep cork and cannon curiosities about wine and war
1: Pork and Cannon, Curiosities About Wine and More. I, I
0: mean, that's that, right there. That's the,
1: I want to do a podcast called That Every Week. But <laughs> sadly, I can't. I can get you to tell me, though, and everybody, the story that we chatted about in the office. And um, let's just kind of start real quick with like, okay, your website obviously is about curious, cool liquor and beer and
0: exactly. historical stories. Yeah, just marrying military history and booze.
1: Okay. And you stumbled across something, I don't even know how you found this. And yeah. how, like, almost if this is your hobby, your hobby's like way too <laughs> academic for me. But like, how did you find this story and tell me all about your story?
0: Yeah, so I was actually just messing around a couple of archival websites, and I came across this bar tab from 1787. And so at this point, it was Revolutionary War was over, George Washington loved among his troops, and he's like, you know what? That sucked. We were at war for eight years. Let's go party. And so okay. he had a little shindig. Pretty modest, 55 people, but the bar tab is insane. He had like 54 bottles of this fortified wine called Madeira that was George Washington's fave. Okay. But another 60 Real bottles. Real quick though,
1: fortified wine. Um, if I had to kind of compare that to something out now. I mean, yeah, it's- okay. So
0: it's like a port style wine. So basically it's wine. That has been hit with a type of brandy. So, like, oh. where wine would be, like, 13% alcohol, this baby's, like, around 19% alcohol. So, George. This is, like, your dessert after... Oh, okay. ...after dinner type of wine. But um, George
1: liked to rock and roll, is what yeah. you're saying. I mean, so then, like this 50,
0: wasn't... Yeah, why not? 54 bottles. And then what's more, another 60 bottles of, like, a Bordeaux red wine. Okay. Um, On top of that, uh, 8 bottles of whiskey, 22 bottles of beer and then seven bowls of a boozy punch this was insane
1: so <laughs> for 55 some people that yeah, is great cr-
0: 55 troops like why not and they uh, <laughs> they met at city tower in philadelphia and then just you know got lit essentially george yeah. washington got lit with his troops
1: i mean they founded the country so i mean i'd give it up to him right on you know and in in fact any chance i get if i see a service member or, or you know one of my fellow vets in a you know an airport or A bar, I mean, I'll read the last. I think the
0: only thing that's weird is like it's just hard to think about him in a powdered wig, you know, like colonial times, just, you know, boozing it up. General, founding father, president, party monster.
1: (laughs) And the music of the day, whenever I hear the like the fife and (laughs) drum music, I don't really see people getting down to this.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. So what's more is that so, you know, their whole night, evening of debauchery um, cost 89 pounds, which when I plugged it into an inflation calculator, was like 16K in like modern day dollars. So he like racked up a $16,000 bar tab and then he didn't even pay for it. And someone else had to pay for it.
1: You mean he walked out of the tavern after the night or weekend or however long this party lasted?
0: GW did not pay for that.
1: He's like, peace, y'all. We founded <laughs> yeah. the country. I'm out.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's
1: horrible. So how did the how did the tab get paid?
0: Uh, so someone else ended up paying it, you know, God bless him. But I don't know. That just makes me like the story even more that, right. like, he threw one of a hell of a party and then was just like, great, now I'm going to be president.
1: Yeah. Now, okay, now to that, getting to be president, that's where we were riffing. And I can't tell if this is story or if this is just where, like, the comedian and reporters and the reporting room over there. Yeah. Just we're riffing on it. But didn't he take this to the Continental Congress? Or like when yeah. Congress was first having their initial brainstorming yeah, yeah. meetings?
0: The timeline is war, party, and then the next in the next day or two, he was there with all the other demigods putting together right. the Constitution. So like the timing of this is just like he just had this party and he's like, oh, gotta, you know, out america <laughs> and with the
1: hangover no less I'm yeah so he's there
0: and then you know and so they're just like so are you gonna take care of that uh bar tab and he's just like no i think, it's, I think we're just gonna <laughs> like pretend that that didn't happen But but yeah no so that's the timing of it when you think like oh this was a serious time of war and then they're slaving over this document like sure. trying to like build what would you know be our quirky kooky country and yeah he like partied which
1: that is so cool and really cool to think that like one of the first items of business you know I can hear them they're like order order here here, here. <laughs> okay now George about the ball tab the other night and he's like look Ben Franklin you don't want people to know what you were doing okay I saw you over there in the corner with the maidens um yeah, so what just, I was- just cut me some slack and you pay for this okay dog?
0: What I was reading is just that it was super common to just, like, drink during discussions, like, during their meetings about all of this. It was, mm. it was very common for them to just, you know, figure stuff out over, Yeah. I guess, how we would do beers, but it was a lot more loose then, so it's just...
1: I, I, you know what? And to that, I think we should be doing that now, because it doesn't seem to me a whole lot of crap gets done. The way they're doing it now. What (laughs) with like, you know, the media and the sound bites and then everybody's just and, you know, nobody really gets along. And then they make big resolutions to we're going to decide this in six months. You know, the debt ceiling. Let's just move this conversation till the end of the fiscal year or something. And we just, you know, why don't they just buckle down? And instead of, you know, all night pizza session with Republicans and Democrats, why don't they just wheel in some kids?
0: Yeah. Have
1: some, have some drinks oh, no, I don't know if that'd be any better We come out with some weird legislation Well, I love it And uh, the blog, we can find stories like this You know, periodically on your Website or on your blog, how do we find you?
0: Yep, so I am just www.corkincannon.com And there is a link So if anyone wants to contribute Give me a story tip to research Oh yes, yes Yep.
1: And as much as I know Mac I'm going to say this for her Because she probably wouldn't But she'll also accept wine donations So if you happen (laughs) to see her out and about in town she would be more than happy to, you know Do a tasting with you (laughs) Always in good taste, Mac I really dig this story, thank you Thanks All right, and now for a segue that'll make your head spin. We'll go from veterans of the Revolutionary War, who were once president, (laughs) to a veteran that our very own Capitol Hill reporter, Matt Saintsing, brought to our attention. And how he went from a career in military intelligence to one involving yeast, barley, and hops. Uh, Tell me your name and title.
3: Ryan... And I am the restaurant manager at Sterling Pig Brewery in Media, Pennsylvania.
1: Okay, Matt. Yep. Yeah. So our call we're getting ready to hear with your buddy uh, was cool. We talked about beers and whiskey camp. But before we get to the call, tell me how you know, Ryan.
2: Uh, so Ryan and I go back to about 2004 2005 when we both served as uh, intelligence analysts in the 101st Airborne Division in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, he's a Korean linguist himself. He's a cryptologic linguist. I myself was a signals intelligence analyst, which is a fancy way of saying uh, intel when it has to do with commu- enemy communications. You know, uh, he's okay. yeah. So it's not about beer at all. It is not about beer. It is. No, we drank a lot of beer, cheap beer. Now that we're older, a little more experienced. So we drink a little finer beer, but uh, it was not beer centric at the time. At least the job. (laughs) So since getting out of the army, he's gone to college, worked in archaeology, and is now in the beer industry. Yeah, three careers that sound like they're totally unrelated. But uh, here's how he explained it
1: to us.
3: Well, uh, first I went. Uh, back to school on the GI Bill, and I got a degree in classical and ancient Mediterranean studies uh, with an archaeology focus and Asian studies. Hold on, just is, real
1: quick. I don't mean to stop you, but can you tell me what you studied again? I didn't even get it the first time.
3: Classics and ancient Mediterranean studies with an archaeology focus. I also have a degree in Asian studies. Wow. Neither right. of which is particularly <laughs> helpful in the beer industry.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking to myself. I am like, okay, wait a minute. He makes Asian beer? But, okay, no. no. This story's really heating up. Go ahead, man. I I yeah, ahead. so
3: I, I, I got a job after graduating one of the one of the few people who graduates with a degree in the archaeological field. Uh, I I got hired at the University of Pennsylvania with the Or digitization project. So Or is a site uh, Mesopotamian site southern Iraq. Uh, I was in the process of applying to uh, of applying to PhD programs, and some friends opened up a beer store down in Georgia and invited me down there to work with them. So I, I went down there, worked with them for a couple of years, and then I moved back north, got into some bartending, and While looking for uh, mostly sales positions, I ended up landing a position as a restaurant manager with uh, Sterling Fit Brewery.
1: Do you think that um, basically any of your experiences in the past have kind of customized you and helped you work in promoting and discussing the nuances of beer?
3: Absolutely. Uh, One of the ways that I segued from the military into the archaeology world was my familiarity with geographic information systems. Uh, While I was working as an archaeologist in Israel uh, with the... Seasonally, with the Tel excavation, I was uh, running their 3D modeling and spatial documentation program, uh, which basically uh, used a photogrammetric 3D modeling system to uh, measure the site and, and, and spatially quantify the site and document the site in photorealistic 3D models on a daily basis. Uh, then that data management uh, that I used as an archaeologist and also used as an intelligence analyst has uh, paved the way for me using lots of spreadsheets in restaurants and breweries. Data organization is a huge deal and a lot of time in the restaurant industry and the beer industry, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of creative types. Um, So being that, that voice like, Hey, maybe we should organize this in this way is uh, I think pretty helpful.
1: Right on, man. Now you've got mastery of history and archeological digs. You've got mastery of language and a worldwide experience. And you've also got mastery of whiskey. Matt was telling me about uh, this thing you went to called whiskey camp. What the hell is that, and how do I get to
3: go? Camp Runamuck. It's run by Lush Life Productions, and it is an industry event sponsored by several liquor companies uh, where they take a group of, well, two different sessions of 125 bartenders out to uh, a summer camp outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and they take you to various facilities. They also have a bunch of industry events where, that, are, that are sponsored, You know, and they're fun. They're parties. Um, oh, you don't say! The,
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, a, a camp full of bartenders and liquor reps. My <laughs> yes, I can only. Did you guys get like little cabins and bunk beds?
3: Oh yeah, we all had uh, we all had our own cabin. We had bunk beds. Uh, there were there were only about six people in cabins. Everybody got the bottom bunk, and then the top bunk you used to you know hold all your swag. <laughs> right. More than that, like it. You know, a lot of people emphasize the party element of it but it was a fantastic educational experience getting to go out to these, uh, bourbon distilleries to find out exactly what it is in their process that makes their product unique and special on the market.
1: Give me an example of like, what would be a fun fact you walked out of whiskey camp with,
3: uh, well, Woodford reserve, uh, most rich houses that they use to store aging whiskey. Uh, a lot of times they'll move the barrels between the top floor and the bottom floor to adjust temperature. Woodford reserve has a, uh, as a, a brick building as opposed to a wood building. And instead of moving the whiskey, uh, they change the temperature of the building. So they actually have heating elements that, uh, run into the building from the uh, distillery, uh, carrying steam to heat the bottom floors during the winter. So typically during the summer, your top floors are really hot. Your bottom floors are cool, not, not cold, but cool. Um, and then during the winter, uh, the aging process more or less shuts down because the temperature drops. Um, the whiskey's not being forced into the barrel. So at Woodford, they actually heat it from the bottom during the winter. It almost has a flip-flop of what happens during the summer, which means they don't really have to move their whiskey all that much.
1: Huh. All right, very cool. Knowing all these stories behind the various kinds of whiskey, um, you, really, you really become like an ideal alcohol ambassador.
3: It's, it's, it's product education, which isn't that different from academia. When, you, when it gets down to it, it's just a little bit more fun yeah. and slightly less drinking. <laughs> yeah.
1: What are some good-tasting whiskeys, and what am I looking for when I taste a good whiskey?
3: As far as great whiskeys, every, every distillery out there, uh, especially when you're talking about the big distilleries, they've been doing it for a long time. They're all producing uh, whiskeys of various qualities. You know, you've got your, you your bottom-shelf uh, bottom whiskeys, you've got your top-shelf whiskeys, and there's great stuff on every shelf. That's so I'd say my favorite bottom-shelf whiskey is probably the uh, Evan Williams. Evan Williams is a great base expression. Uh, as far as mid-range shelf, I'm a I'm a big fan of Woodford Reserve. They don't do any base expressions, but they are owned by Brown Foreman, which is the same company that brought you Jack Daniels. So,
2: huh. just as an aside, I remember when we were we were TDY to Fort Meade, Maryland, from Fort Campbell. Uh, I was kind of on the way out. He was he was coming into this uh, this training program we were doing at Fort Meade. Uh, went to his hotel room. He's like, let's come hang out for a little bit. So I went in there and walked into his bathroom, and there's. Uh, a tub full of ice and uh, bottles of Jim Beam. They're just chilling on ice. He's like, "Oh, would you like some?" You know, and I was like, <laughs> "I was. I mean, I've had to catch a flight, and I was like, of course, I want some.' So you know, <laughs> spent a little time. So that's just that's just you know, this is the kind of guy Ryan is. You know that. You know what?
3: You know what's strange for me is I don't remember
2: that.
1: Oh, imagine that. Well, I'd like to think that you've been embracing this for many years. You just didn't have the official job description at the time, but you've been an enthusiast and you know, dare I say, an informal yeah. academic about the study of. Whiskey for quite a while. That's all well,
3: awesome. you know. Uh, there, there are formal academics out there uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. You've got Dr. Pat McGovern who has collaborated with Dogfish Head on their Ancient Ale series. So, I mean, there is a uh, there is a limited number of spaces within the academic market for people to to embrace their love of alcohol in a professional way. You know,
1: I hear it every time I hear a very high end review of either a wine or a beer. Yeah. and there are those that can. I, they can identify the subtle notes or the earth tones or the different... Or they say they can. Or but, the finished yeah. flavors. And I'm always <laughs> amazed because when they do tell you that, and then you are to have it, especially when you're doing like a wine tasting or something, um, if somebody explains kind of what to look for when you give it a whiff, um, suddenly you do start to notice
3: it. There are people out there who are super tasters. They can taste every single element of a whiskey, a beer, or a wine. And then you can also train your palate to pick out certain notes. But there's also the power of suggestion, and I will tell you like for me in my line of work, uh, working as a beer retailer particularly, uh, the power of suggestion is the most important thing and you, you sort of hit a, uh, hit on that idea that when you're doing a tasting, somebody tells you what you're tasting and then suddenly it, it comes to the forefront that power of suggestion is really important, and it's the difference between a uh, a good a good tasting and a bad tasting if uh, you have somebody who's who, who's good enough at the process of organizing a tasting, that they can help get you to the point where your palates improve, uh, that's a that's a skilled person.
1: Hey, speaking of tasting, uh, let's get to something you can kind of tell us a little bit about. And uh, I was looking at your website uh, for the Sterling Pig Brewery uh, just outside Philadelphia in Media, Pennsylvania. And uh, it said it's brewed in small batches and tapped directly on site. Sterling Pigs ate rotating beers, achieved the perfect balance of flavor and drinkability. And you've got um, everything, you know, from... Lagers to porters to stouts. Talk to me about some of the best beers you guys have. And using your expertise, not only from military intelligence, but uh, you know from a student of history, talk to me about the flavors and kind of describe them for me.
3: We have a Hefeweizen that he produces called Summerleben. It is a very traditionally produced uh, Bavarian-style Hefeweizen. This one is sitting at about 6% ABV right now. So a little bit, little bit heavier, a little bit, little bit more booze to it. But great banana clove flavors. It's exactly what you're going to look for when you when you say what's the German hefeweizen taste like, you can come here and you get a pretty good idea. Nice.
1: Real real quick with the hef. Um, so is that something that we'd pair with an orange, like you do with the more commercially available Hefeweizens? Blue Moon, I think, comes to mind? Or is sticking fruit in your beer
3: a sin? A lot of beer snobs will tell you, you know, oh, don't put fruit in my beer. Yeah. But the tradition of putting fruit in beer, especially wheat beers. Uh, you know, that that dates back uh, well over a hundred years. So if you look at Germany, uh Germany right around the turn of the twentieth century, uh you have Berliner Weisse, which is a sour wheat beer, uh frequently being served with a raspberry syrup. So putting fruit in beers is not against the rules at all. Uh the modern popularity of Blue Moon, which is a Belgian wit, so it's a sort of a cousin to the half and it's a wheat beer from Belgium. Uh that's primarily marketing. Uh somebody in the early nineties said we want people to look across the bar and say, "Hey, who's what's that beer with the orange in it?" Hmm. And that that's sort of been the 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 origin of like the modern uh, the modern notion of putting a uh, an orange into a wheat beer. Uh, generally, with a half of and I don't necessarily recommend it. Wit beers, it's sort of it's in vogue. We serve our Orange Street Wheat, which is a uh, wit style beer with an orange. Uh, we we do not serve that with our half hmm. which is a more traditional German presentation. Oh,
1: okay. Well, look at that. I've already uh, learned something.
3: All right. Then the, uh, the other two beers that I uh, that I talked about, uh, we have a couple different IPAs that we keep on tap. We keep the for a 6.5% IPA. We keep an 8% IPA. It's a double IPA called uh, Big Guns. And we put out a single hop series called This Little Piggy. That's what I had. So This Little Piggy, each each one does uh, focuses on a, on a particular hop right now. We've got Citra on. It is uh, a beautiful hop that imparts uh, citrusy orange flavors. Like for me, uh, a beer made with citra, uh, you can tell it right away. It, it almost tastes like somebody poured orange juice in it with a little bit of the, uh, the orange pith. Mm. And uh, the last beer I'd like to talk about is our Schwartz beer. So this is a traditional German dark lager. It's in the lager family, so it's, been, it's got that lighter body, but it still has those rich, dark, chocolatey flavors that you'd get from like a stout. So that makes it the perfect beer for... Uh, summer if you're going to drink a dark beer and well into the fall sometime around november december then you can switch over to like porters and stouts
1: right right and it's interesting to hear you use the words dark and lager in the same sentence much less the same drink because i typically think of lagers as these like golden
3: light, light almost
1: like yeah. see-through mm-hmm. kind of beer i mean i don't want to say bud light but you know i mean i think of a lager as no, just bud this, a, has bud light
3: is a modern american adjunct lager so it's it's dark it's dark in terms of the the color, and it's light in terms of the body. No,
1: nice. And where do we find you on the interwebs? And where do we find you uh, in real life? If we want to come have a beer with you.
3: All right. Well, if you want to find me in real life, I'm at uh, Sterling Pig Brewery in Media. It's at six hundred nine West State Street,
1: and that's just outside Philadelphia in Media, PA.
3: Uh, we don't take reservations. It's first-come, first-served. we got a fantastic barbecue program here. So, you know, come with an empty stomach and get ready for some beer and some meat. Uh, you can find me online at, at the Yankee Dandy on uh, Twitter and Instagram.
1: Very cool. At the Yankee Dandy. Nice. And, of course, I got, I've got seen some big, beautiful pictures of your beautiful beers at SterlingPig.com as well. That features everything. That is up, correct.
3: About the brewery and the tasting. And you can find us online at, at SterlingPig.
1: From army veteran to student of archaeology to uh, beer enthusiast, <laughs> l- beer leader, <laughs> yeah. to beer S- academic, say, yeah. Great talking to you, man. We come back on and uh, let's talk beer. Like when the seasons change, we get into like the fall and winter beers. Let's examine some things to tip back, shall we?
3: Sure, because then I can talk with a fresh mind, full of uh, information gleaned from the Oxford Dictionary of Beer and some other. I- I've got tons of books, and if you want some uh, history book recommendations for beer, more than happy to make those.
1: And next time, we're not doing it over the phone either. We're going to be sitting face to face, beer Beer to beer, beer in my tiny little hands. I will have a beer. (laughs) All right. All right. So after that interview, we obviously wanted a beer, and Matt brought with him a sample from uh, the Sterling Pig, and we'll leave you now with the sounds of us tasting a beer. I'm not certain you'll learn anything or we'll do it justice, but uh, we'll give it a shot.
2: So should I go ahead? Yeah, no, no, yeah, do it up, dude. Oh,
1: okay. All right,
2: so right. the gun is loaded. Let's see how I do on the pour here. All right. Oh, that's good. We're just tasting We're it. We're just tasting it today.
1: Matt's pouring like an
2: entire pint over there. Well, nice. for me, it's a serving. All right, so <laughs> here we go. So um, so the way it looks, uh, first of all, it's expertly poured, if I do say so myself. Oh, yeah, no, no, you, you, have you got a, the angle on it. The, the head angle. is
1: floating right on top of what is like a very dark kind of chocolatey colored um beer.
2: It's a little bit high in carbonation, which I think has to do with you see the bubbles go. You, you typically don't see that with uh, a lot of stouts or porters because it's a light uh, because of its a heavier texture. Oh. This lighter body kind of likes it so you can kind of see it. A l- little more interactive, right? Let's go ahead and smell it. Alright, so it definitely smells like a lager for one, but I definitely smell notes of it's like dark, almost like dark, deep, dark cherry, deep dark cherry chocolate a little bit. Like, okay. smells very malty very roasty it's getting me me excited to taste it here we go
1: (laughs) he's giving it a chug although for the record before you give us the description Uh I'm going to say that you've done a very good job at restraining yourself you didn't I thought you were just going to rip into that pint. Oh, well, I can.
2: It. I can. But right? you oh, actually yeah.
1: smelled it. You stirred it. You're, you're taking it all in. That was a that was a good conservative sip. You're yeah. really trying to get mouthfeel on that. Yeah, so, I'm really uh, trying to get so, all dimensions. All right, so tell me what's going on with that beer.
2: So, definitely a lighter texture. definitely smells like a lager. It, it tastes like a lager, but it definitely has that roasty, malty flavor, as I say. I'm trying to pick out which one's here. Let me go back in and tell you. He's going back in. I love how you just poured yourself one, too. Definitely chocolate. Well, let me go ahead and I just wanted to go ahead and, and get this here. Sorry about this. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, you want some, too? Sorry. I thought this was just me here. Well, let's What <laughs> let you... kind of beer tasting what is What kind this? of beer tasting? It's my kind of beer tasting. <laughs> right for me. Here you go. Trying to spill this on the equipment. All right. Okay. Yeah. So let us know what you think.
1: Okay. Again, I'll give it a smell.
2: Yep. Go ahead and get a swoosh around. Okay. It smells like an Irish bar.
1: Mmm. It smells like... Like hay? Yeah, no, it smells like kind of like wet hay yeah. and an Irish bar. Uh, regret. Um, <laughs> it smells like I hear the boss tones playing. Okay, here we go. Earthy. Yep. Some tree bark. Some leaves tastes like um maybe some nuts uh it's like got that almonds. dark rosy
2: flavor that i I mean I've said it four times but I love it and I, this kind of flavor with the lighter body is perfect
1: I love everyone in the office is now They're staring so at us through the window are
2: like you know I'm get, I'm on the clock right now guys. This is
1: important you know, research
2: you know, important research This is
1: important research <laughs> okay, let me go ahead and. Uh, Everyone. You get Jared in go here. Go ahead too. and get some.
2: Yeah, get Abby, our one. social yeah, media director, is in social, here now. Uh, our person who promotes all this on Facebook here. Hi. And actually, we never said the name of the beer. This is a Pata Negra from the Sterling Pig. Um, what do you think about it? Let's get, let's, get, let's get your reaction here. I normally don't enjoy dark beers, but this is really easy to drink. I'm having a great time. Do you know why it is easy to drink? It's a black lager, which marries what I like about an ale or a stout or a porter—that d- d- deep, dark, rich flavors in a lighter body. Uh, you know what it tastes? It tastes like uh, I'm like chomping down like a big hunk of like like really dark German bread. That's what I'm tasting. It's
0: like a lot of like the nuts and like the stuff that goes along with that, but it's also okay. definitely like more of like a—is is, is is that a malty taste? I have no idea. It's what malty, about. yeah, it's yeah.
2: Malty. roasty malty. Roasty yeah.
1: malty. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Alright again, for those consuming this podcast, we are sampling the Pata Negra from the Sterling Pig Brewery, which is just outside of Philadelphia. You wanna consume this one or something similar, remember Black Lager. You can find that at a liquor store near you. Alright, let's go out with a little sound effect here. All give right. me give me cheers.
2: Alright, good job, buddy. Cool, thank you.